Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Revealed, a study of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our hope is that our eyes will be open to see that all scripture points to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. For I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. For he is not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, if you're getting used to your Bibles, it's about three-fourths of the way back, the Gospels are. And um, a few weeks ago, I told you that if you want to look at the Psalms, uh, a lot of times if you just go right to the halfway point of a Bible, you'll come right into the neighborhood of Psalms. Psalm 22 is what we're also going to be talking about today. If you're using one of the black Bibles, uh, Matthew 27 is on page 697, help get there quicker. And uh, also the Psalm uh, 22 is on page 381 and 382. I know it's a lot of information right up front, but we want to just open our Bibles and be ready to look at this together. Now, what they just read, uh, if, if you can multitask, what they just read is uh, something that was written a thousand years before Christ. And that's what's in that first line in the notes. Led by the Holy Spirit, 
King David writes Psalm 22, 1,000 years before Christ. And uh, that's, that's an amazing long time. Can you imagine uh, 10,000, I mean, uh, uh, 1017 AD was how far we'd have to go back if we wanted to know how far something was written before us and our time. But so 1,000 years between when David wrote it and when uh, Jesus claimed that this was fulfilled. So we want to look at that today and see how that all connects. And uh, we've been saying this all along, that after we ended our series for a year and a half in the Gospel of Luke, in that last chapter, chapter 24, we read how Jesus gave uh, his disciples two Bible studies that were like the Bible studies of their lives, like they would never forget it. And in Luke 24, we see these verses here on the screen. He said to them, now that, by the way, he's walking alongside two people on the road to Emmaus and they're down. It's Sunday afternoon. Jesus has been killed. They don't realize it's Jesus who's risen again and walking alongside of them. So they say, we had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah, but they killed him. So then Jesus, again, incognito, comes up and says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is not how to win friends and influence people, friends. (laughs) Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, A little bit later, he has another Bible study with him. Look at this, later in Luke 24. He says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets and, read this phrase with me, the Psalms. Now today we're going to talk about Psalm 22. Then notice what he did. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Oh Lord, do that again this morning in this room. Now John 5, 39, he said this to the religious leaders one day. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about who, friends? Me, he says. So if you're following along, here's Jesus' claims. Here's Jesus' claim. The Old Testament scriptures point to me. The Old Testament scriptures point to me. But why, why, why does that not always make sense to us? We can read chapter after chapter and still go, I have no idea what this means. You relate? I can do that. We need Jesus to connect the dots. We need Jesus to connect the Old Testament with the New Testament so we can go, oh, it's not two stories. It's one story of redemption that's unfolding and being fulfilled. And so last week, Chuck, in his message, put this on the screen. Do you, if you were here, do you remember this? Even if you weren't, you can tell this is a connect the dots, the dot to dot. And some of us still like doing this as adults, but we did it when we were kids. It's kind of a neat exercise. Well, um, my summer intern this year, uh, summer is Matt uh, Hartman, and I gave him the difficult assignment of connecting the dots. And uh, this week he did that, and uh, again, you can tell it's a phone. I wasn't able to tell that last week, but as soon as I saw that, I went, Oh, it's a phone. And what the Lord is doing in these Bible studies and what he wants to do in our lives is he wants to connect the dots. Now, why is this so important? Because when it just seems like dots, it's hard to live with any motivation and inspiration, friends. And also, when it seems especially like those dots 
are full of suffering and so disconnected. We wonder, how in the world am I supposed to make sense out of all of this? We need Jesus to come alongside of us and connect the dots. And friends, of all the passages in the scripture, this particularly talks about suffering. One of the questions I hear often as a pastor, as a Christian, you may too, is what about all this suffering in the world? What about all this unjust things, the things that happen to people? And as a pastor, sometimes I get a chance to hear people pour their hearts out about that or stand with them in a hospital room or stand with them at a graveside and just go, wow, oh God, you're going to have to connect the dots. So we need this message because this will help us connect the dots if Jesus shows up and teaches us the way he can. So let's pray for that very thing and then let's study this passage. Now, God, I pray, I pray that you will reveal yourself This series called Revealed, just because we hold a service doesn't mean you're bound to show up. And I can only take these words to people's ears. You can take them to people's hearts and minds. Please, for your name's sake and for your glory, do that very thing, I pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, today, if someone asks you after the service, hey, what did you guys talk about today? I hope that you're going to be able to repeat what's in that first gray box. Okay, this is the first line of Psalm 22. Let's read it together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, we're going to come back to that. I want the main focus of this message to be about that verse, even though there's 31 verses in Psalm 22. But let me give you some background about Psalm 22 if you're following along. Here it is. The first line, Psalm 22 begins in lament and ends in praise. If you've never spelled lament, it's L-A-M-E-N-T. It begins in lament and ends in praise. I've, I've pointed out there that the first 20 verses are all about lament, and the last 11 verses are all about praise. Now, what is lament? A lament is a passionate expression of grief or pain. Therefore, when someone is lamenting or someone has a lament on their heart, they're pouring out something that is sad, painful, grievous, painful deep. And so that's what you find in Psalm 22. So people go, well, I like to be positive, so I'm not reading Psalm 22. But Jesus, and that's probably one of the reasons why they'd missed it. They weren't expecting a suffering savior. So Jesus says, didn't you realize that the Christ had to suffer and then enter his glory. It wasn't just straight into glory. Most of us go, I'd like to bypass suffering straight into glory. But he said there was no other way. There was no other way. He had to suffer. So Psalm 22 begins with lament, ends in praise. Keep that in mind. I'll come back to that. Second thing is what does the word forsaken mean? That's the million dollar word in this passage. What's forsaken mean? It means abandoned, ignored, turned away, or deserted. Abandoned, if you're following along, means forsaken means abandoned, ignored, turned away, or deserted. Now, when I can say this word and it can just sound like a definition, but if you see it, you never forget it. Some of us have seen kids bullied and no one helps them. And that is so hard to take, so hard to understand. My dad is often told that part of his testimony in high school is that because he was from a small town in Iowa, the popular kids in his high school, only about 100 kids in high school, 25 in his class, decided that he and his sister, 
um, were the ones they wanted to pick on. And so for two solid school years, they basically sent the word around, do not talk to them. If you do, we won't talk to you. And so for two years, my dad said he just trudged through that. There's very, there's very little to look forward to. It's very painful to be forsaken. Forsaken sometimes has the idea of mistreatment and ugliness. But to be forsaken is one of the greatest pains that we can know because we're relational people. So Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? Now, he's forsaken on many levels on the cross. And the ones that I want to just talk about that are named in Psalm 22 in this this next line. On the cross, some of the ways he experienced forsakenness is he's mocked, he's pierced, and he's naked. He's mocked, he's pierced, and he's naked. Where do I get that? If you look uh, here on the screens, here's several of the Psalm 22 references. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And then it goes on again in verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan. This was just a way of talking about adversaries. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. And so he talks about, again, some of this suffering that's going on is this mocking. And uh, we'll read that in just a little bit on the cross there. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. The humiliation of this is unbelievable. And then verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. A lot of times, again, our pictures have, you know, Jesus with at least some shred of dignity. But the truth is they took his clothes. And the last thing that happened to him as far as the crucifixion was they put him up there naked as if to say, you have nowhere to go. Wow. That in itself is so profound. I don't know if you've ever had someone say painful words to you or misunderstand you, but those are some of the hardest things to shake. And then to have people spit words back up in your face. So let me read, let me read the account there in Matthew 27, and let's just see what we notice. Verse 32, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They were off there, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who say you're going to destroy the temple, and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, in the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. They don't realize what they're saying. If he came down from the cross, he wouldn't be able to help them. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Let me just stop. I still run into people that don't, that say Jesus never claimed to be God. Even his enemies now throw that back in his face. For he said, I am the son of God. He made the claim. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Can you see that picture heaping? From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. In fact, I put that on the notes, but it has an Aramaic sentence, so do you want me to read that part? I did it in the first service, and they, I had to apologize because we butchered it, but so did the pastor. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on the staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. So here's what I'd like you to notice about my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus spoke it on his lips on the cross. The first thing I want you to notice is Jesus' cry if you're following along. Jesus' cry. It was an unexpected, unforgettable scream. The word there, when it says he cried out in a loud voice, can either mean scream or shriek. Now, just to understand the mechanics of the cross, the reason the Romans used this form of execution is because it literally caused a person not only to be humiliated and used as an example, but the way they died was a difficult death. Most people, the way they died on the cross was they drowned in their own fluid. They, they literally were asphyxiated. They, they lost, they couldn't breathe anymore. In order to breathe on the cross, you literally had to pull yourself up on the very nails that you were nailed with. And to do that took not only incredible, incredible strength, but that was just to get a breath. And the longer you were dying like that, the, the shallower the breaths became. And so the fluid began to fill up in your lungs. It was an unbelievable, terrible way to die. And so it's interesting, though, that Jesus uh, obviously said very few words from the cross because even if he did, it was probably more of a whisper. It wasn't very loud. The energy it would take just to, you know, make your voice go that loud. And we read here that right near the end of his death, he pulls himself up. And in a loud voice, a scream, a shriek, which would have broken the silence. They hear him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, even skeptics that don't believe some of the gospel accounts say, this had to have actually happened. Because uh, this is not the way to promote your religious leader. It sounds like he's hopeless. 
most of our religious leaders end with words of heroic words and they end in peace and instead, Jesus sounds like he's been totally forsaken by God. It's not a happy sound, but it's an unforgettable cry. And Matthew and Mark both include what he said in Aramaic because they remember exactly how it came out of his mouth. They would never forget it. It's eyewitness testimony. What a cry. What does it mean? And that leads to this next thing. Jesus, why? If you're following along. Jesus, why? And this gets us closer to why is he the forsaken one? What's going on here? Why did he say that? Did he say that because he was abandoned by God? Because he was hopeless? Because he had nothing to look forward to? Notice that Jesus, why? is said, as execution, judgment, and darkness fall on him. As execution, judgment, and darkness fall on him. Notice it says, from noon to three, the darkness covered the whole land. And when that happened, that was a, everyone knew that darkness was a symbol for judgment. The fact that darkness was over the whole land, including on Jesus, is an interesting picture. And if you read Psalm 22, again, most scholars have grappled with it because it's a tricky kind of psalm to understand. It's written by King David. And a number of the psalms that King David wrote were autobiographical. They actually came out of his own experience. Some of us that have needed to know God's deep forgiveness and cleansing have appreciated what he wrote in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 after he sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband strategically killed at the front line of battle. And when the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him and said, God knows what you did. He said, I've sinned. And then he pours out his prayer and it's the most helpful prayer. And he tells about other things we can read in some of the Psalms of why he wrote it, when he did and what he was experiencing. But Psalm 22, Psalm 22 is not just describing an illness. It's not just describing some kind of persecution. As one of the Old Testament scholars has said, it's describing an execution. And you can hear it. You can feel it. And so this didn't happen to David, but David, led by the Holy Spirit, wrote words that he knew he was describing for others. And he was looking ahead with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I'm the one he was writing about. And that's why I'm saying these words on the cross. Don't miss it. Now, why? Why did judgment, execution, darkness fall on him? He's the only innocent person that ever walked this earth. He's the only person that ever lived a perfect life. What in the world is execution, judgment, and darkness falling on him for? And the Bible tells us is that Many people thought that he was getting what he deserved. Look at Isaiah 53. It also foretold some of this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. I don't know, again, what you believe. Our culture tells us that we're not to ever feel guilty. Especially when I was younger, guilt was bad. All guilt was bad. And when I was growing up, I heard people say, don't let anyone make you feel guilty. Well, I respect that, but here's what I want to say. No one had to make me feel guilty. 
The longer I walked in this world, I saw things in my life that were so contradictory. I saw things that I knew were not someone making me feel guilty. I knew I was guilty. I knew that I was made by God for God, that I was made to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I had not loved him like that. I had loved myself. I realized that I was made to love my neighbor as myself, but I realized many times I used my neighbor or hurt my neighbor or tried to compete with my neighbor but not love my neighbor. And by the time I was 15 years old, and I'm not saying I still don't have evidence, but by the time I was 15, I had plenty of empirical evidence to know that when the Bible called me a sinner, it was not making me feel guilty. It was accurate. Part of what we have to understand, and you'll never understand the cross if you don't know this, is that all of us stand guilty before God. And sin has to be paid for. It has consequences. It has penalty. Someone has got to pay. And the Bible says that rather than God letting us take it on ourselves, made a way for it to be taken upon himself. So he sent his son to come as a human being so that the punishment we deserved could be placed on him. And what's going on, this darkness that fell, is Jesus is tasting, not just mocking, not just piercing, not just nakedness. He's experiencing forsakenness. That leads to this next one, Jesus, my. Jesus cried, Jesus, why? Jesus, my. Do you notice how he says that? My God, my God. And notice that as he suffers infinitely and obeys. Notice Jesus, my, as he suffers infinitely and obeys. Again, he is quoting this, but he's saying, my God, my God. And the, the suffering there that he's, that he's experiencing, I'm going to try my best to try and explain it. You know, there's no greater hurt than to lose love. So if after this service someone walked up to me and said, uh, I don't like you anymore, Jeff, and I'm not going to ever listen to anything you say, oh, that, would, that, I, that would hurt. If my wife walks up to me, after this service, and says, I don't like you anymore, and I'm not going to listen anymore, and I'm leaving you. Some of you experience this. Oh, that's, that's, that's a lot more hurt. Cause why? Because the longer you're together with someone, the deeper you love, the deeper the hurt. Now try and imagine the perfect relationship that Jesus, the Son, has had with the Father and the Holy Spirit from before all eternity. And imagine that for those three hours of darkness, the Father, in order that our sin might be paid for, turned his face away because he could not look on the sin that was on his son. And Jesus goes through that alone. I've often asked myself, why did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane say, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Don't, don't let me drink this cup. I guess I've always thought that he was saying, you know, I really don't want to be killed by a Roman executioner. That's like going to hurt. And I'm sure that was him in his mind, and I'm sure he thought, I don't want to be mocked by people. I don't want them to ridicule me. I don't want to be naked and humiliated in front of people. But now I think I understand what he's saying is, I don't want to drink the cup that will separate me from you for three hours. 
I don't want to be forsaken that way. You're my father. You're my God. We're one. We love each other. I'm God with you. I'm God with the Holy Spirit. Whew. The fact that God would let that kind of pain is just amazing love, isn't it? Amazing. And that leads us to also when I said that he suffers infinitely, but he obeys. Do you notice what he does? Even though he has to go through forsaken, he still says what? My God. My God. This is the covenant name that God gave when he said, if you will enter into a covenant with me, I will be your God and you will be my people. And again, every person that entered into a covenant with God, he gave them that promise. Now Jesus has that covenant relationship with God, but when he obeys, he's forsaken. And yet he still prays. He still obeys all the way to the end. Praise his name. My God, my God, he suffers infinitely and obeys. And this is the way he accomplished our salvation. He obeyed all the way to the end, even though we had not obeyed. He died in our place. He was the forsaken one. So there's a lot here. Jesus cry, Jesus why, Jesus my. But it all adds up to this last one, Jesus gift. And by the way, before I talk about Jesus' gift, do you realize I could have put another one in there of Jesus' cry, his second cry? Did you hear what I read in Matthew 27? It says, and then in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, you know, and died. John 19 tells us what he cried in a loud voice. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word, it is finished, was used in the marketplace to mean paid in full. Paid in full. The penalty of our forsaking God has been taken on by his son, and it's paid completely. Wow. So what started as a lament ends in praise. He has done it. Psalm 22 ends. Praise his name. He's done it. He went through it, and he's done it. And so, Jesus' gift. If you've never heard this before, even if you have, I hope you'll appreciate it afresh. Jesus' gift is this. His righteousness for my unrighteousness. His righteousness for my unrighteousness. Friends, please understand that the good news that is offered to us in Jesus Christ isn't just pardon for sin. That would be great for our guilt-plagued consciences alone, wouldn't it? But it goes way past that. This is often called the great exchange, this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you look up here, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he says, look, I'll take your unrighteousness if you look to me, if you'll trust in me. And I'll place it on my son, my perfect son, who suffers and obeys for you in your place. And I don't just stop there. In other words, I didn't just forgive your sin. Now I'm going to take his perfect righteousness and I'm going to put it on you so that when I look at you, I see my son 
and I see his righteousness, and I look at you as one of my sons and daughters. Wow. That's what he did. And therefore, you and I can actually walk around not with any arrogance or pride because we had nothing to do except receive it. What a gift. What a gift. You didn't just take my unrighteous standing. You gave me a righteous standing with you. I have a new identity. I'm righteous in Christ. Doesn't mean I don't still struggle with the old and unlearning that. But now it's a new day has opened up. I can move from lament to praise. And the Bible says that's exactly what Jesus did. Do you know that Psalm 22 is actually quoted in Hebrews 2? So let me show you one of the later verses from Psalm 22 that's quoted. It says, God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader to fit, uh, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He's quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I will praise you with my brothers and sisters. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, saw the vision. If I will go through this forsakenness, on the other side, I will have brothers and sisters who are saved and redeemed, who will be able to worship with me in heaven and praise you for what you've done. And so if you're following along, nations and future generations will hear and worship. Nations and future generations will hear and worship. Now let me just try and bring this together, okay? I told you way back when we studied the rich young ruler in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus, a good rabbi that he was, would oftentimes just quote part of a verse or part of something so that people's minds had to be engaged and actually finish it. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, when the rich young ruler, he, he said to him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, you know the commandments. And then he names five out of the 10 commandments. He just happens to leave out, you shall have no other gods before me, and also you shall not covet. So that now, when he names the five, the rich guy goes, thank heavens, he didn't name number one or number 10. Okay? But he knows them. He says, all these that you just named, I've obeyed since the beginning. But Jesus is getting at the root of his issue. Something else is your God right now. If you want to know how to get right with God, let him be first. That's the whole thing, okay? But here's just another thing in our culture. If I go, nationwide is... See how you engage with me? You know, and like a good neighbor. See what I'm saying? It's like that. And so people had known Psalm 22. What Jesus is saying is, yes, I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Finish it. He had to suffer and then enter his glory. Connect the dots and believe in me so that you can experience that. So how do we respond to Jesus? Here's just a couple things that I've thought about as one of your pastors this week. If you're following along when suffering or filled with questions, cry to him. When suffering or filled with questions, cry to him. I've listed out to the right Psalm 13. Uh, I could list Psalm 73. I could list Psalm 69. Did you know there's passages in the scripture that are filled with questions of pain? And they're poured out to God. 
Here's Psalm 13, look at it. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph me? How long, Lord? Lament. Psalm 62, eight says this. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart. What's the next two words? To him. For God is our refuge. I was interacting with someone in our church this week, and they were saying, I had a lonely day of struggle this week. And uh, I decided to stop avoiding God and turn to the scripture. I thought, what an honest remark. Sometimes in our pain, we avoid God. Sometimes in our pain, we blame God. And sometimes the only way to get to a better place is to finally say, God, I just need to tell you the ugly thoughts in my heart that are hurting right now. Why have you abandoned me? How long are you going to forget me? And that can often begin the turning point of moving into healing because God can say, I hear you. I see you. It's so important to do that. Sometimes I turn to everybody but God or I try and work it out. Cry to him. Cry to him just like Jesus. Instead of just having this pain, he literally said, my God, my God, he poured it out to him. Second thing is when tempted or struggling to obey, seek his help. When tempted or struggling to obey, seek his help. Why? Look at Hebrews 2.18. It tells us something. For since he himself has now been through suffering, infinite suffering, by the way, and temptation, he knows what it's like when we suffer and are tempted, and he is wonderfully able to help us. Why is he wonderfully able to help us? One, he understands, and two, he's powerful. He came through the deepest, deepest pit on the other side and still obeyed. He is great, and now by his spirit can live in you and me. How does this work out in everyday life? I've often shared with you the story of Corey and Betsy Temboom in the concentration camp of Ravensbrück during World War II because they had hidden Jews when they were discovered by the Discapo, they were imprisoned. Corey and Betsy would serve time there, and one day on a Friday, every Friday, they were made to march naked in front of the guards. Their clothes were... Uh, left behind and they had to go and get their eyes examined, their teeth examined and, and nothing except hair on their face but they had to take their clothes off and they weren't allowed to cover themselves, they had to keep their arms to the side very humiliating and of course the guards took full advantage of cat calling and all that kind of derogatory stuff and so Corey said she hated it she and her sister, they dreaded it so one of these Fridays as they're walking she said across a ticker of her mind because she'd been reading the scripture, she was reminded, and she whispered to her sister in front of her, Betsy, they took his clothes too. And Betsy said, oh, and I never thanked him. They could go through things because they knew that Jesus had gone through even worse and could help them. And Betsy would eventually say, Corey, we must tell people what happened here. We must tell them that no pit is too deep, that he is not deeper still. And they will believe us because we have been here. Jesus has gone through it, friends. Cry to him for help. The last thing is receive his gift and glorify him today and forever. 
So I want to just ask, have you received his gift? Because I'm not a good preacher if I don't tell you that if you decide not to receive his gift, you will for experience forsakenness. Jesus offered to take your penalty, but if you refuse Jesus, you will have to take your own penalty. He will one day say, depart from me, and you will be forsaken for all eternity because of your own decisions and your own choices. That is the natural outpouring of justice and what happens when we make those kind of self-centered living decisions. But that's not what he wants for us. He offers it as a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And do you know why? Once people have received his gift, if they really get it, if they say it wasn't just for someone else, it was for me, do you know why people glorify him? Because they know the rest of their life, they want the rest of their life to be a thank you. They want their obedience, they want what their mouths say, they want to point other people to Jesus and they want to glorify him instead of glorifying themselves. Is that you? Have you received his gift? Are you about glorifying him? We're gonna have an opportunity to do that before the service close. But we thought it might be a good idea to have someone from our church congregation come and tell you how this psalm affected them. And so we've invited John Hanlon, and some of you weren't here, but on Good Friday, we had about 10 of these art, art pieces up here from our own artist in our church. We have about five right here. You can always come up and see them after the service. But then we had 10 people that all spoke and reflected on the cross, and I still remember many of you sharing that did. But John shared about what it would be like to go through that forsaken experience. And he's a dad of eight kids, and he knows how much he loves his kids. So he meditated on that, and these are some of his thoughts. And I want you to listen and think about what God's saying to you, and then we're going to sing after that, have a chance to glorify him and thank him for what he's gone through for us. Imagine a world where God removes his hand. No grace, no love. Just cold, dark, horrifying emptiness. It's a world we will never have to experience because he experienced it instead. Jesus was closer with his father than anyone who ever walked the earth. But on the cross, he experienced full separation from him. The full weight of sin. Sin that was and is, and is to come. It bore down on his shoulders on the cross, pressing out his final breath. And his father, his father somehow let go. He turned his face away. How deep the pain, the searing loss. His father, his arm wasn't so short that it couldn't save him. His ear not so dull that he didn't hear his son as he cried out, lie, lie, lemma suboctony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is no answer. So this is it. This is the most painful moment in the entire passion. 
Jesus had been through the emotional pain of shame and fear, the physical pain of whips and nails. In this moment, he suffered the most excruciating agony of all, complete isolation, handed over to the powers of darkness. In this moment, the Messiah laid down more than his life. He laid down his throne, his innocence, his very fellowship with his Father. And so great was the separation, so severe, that true darkness covered the earth, and it shook in response. The rocks split, tombs broke open, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. All of this happened. All of this was endured so that we do not ever have to experience that same separation. For those who believe, there will always be grace. There will always be love. It is finished. <laughs>